Recovery Radio, where we discuss substance abuse treatment and recovery. You can listen live at blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG Radio. Please note that the views and opinions of our hosts and guests are not necessarily the views of OCG, nor is it meant to replace professional advice or the advice of your physician. And now, here's our show, Roach on Recovery, with your host, Orville Roach. Welcome, welcome, folks, to Roach on Recovery. This is your host, Orville Roach, and uh, my producer and co-host was in the house, Chris Morales. A little more on that later. 646-564-9909 is the number. 646-564-9909 is the number if you want to call in and speak to us. If you just want to listen to the show, you can go to our show website, and that's blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG radio. Again, that's blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG radio. If you have no means other than by the calling line to listen to our show, by all means, do so. Um, so for now, I'm going solo. Mr. Producer had to step out for a minute to take care of some business, and hopefully he'll be back because he is actually the catalyst for today's uh, part one of today's topic series, and I'll speak on that a little bit later. Let's go right to our recap. Last week, we did a show. Our topic was no free lunch, and... uh, Got a lot of good feedback on that. Seems to have uh, resonated with a lot of folk. Um, I think one of the things we, you know, kind of rammed home was no free lunch is probably in existence in every facet of your uh, your being. That nothing. Whatever it is that you want to do, there's always a uh, there's something that you you got to put into the till in order to to get it. Uh, I'll give you a very rudimentary example of no free lunch. Living in a household with all women, so I'm I'm in the super super minority. Um, I guess my mother knew way back when that maybe this was what my uh, existence was going to be. And so she was preparing me because 
out of five siblings, there's six of us, so I have five brothers and sisters, I was the only one that she asked to take out the garbage. And of course, it bothered me to no end because I was wondering if she didn't realize that there were five other people in the house that could do the same job. But she must have knew that uh, taking out the garbage would continue to be my job probably for the rest of my life uh, because my daughter's wife and any other creatures in the house seem to be averse to taking out the garbage. So what does it have to do with no free lunch? Well, if I don't take out the garbage, especially now, especially now that we have uh, an infant in the house, and you know they wear diapers, they poop in their diapers. I call it a biohazard. It must leave the house before it uh, the um, the scent gets all over the house. And uh, it doesn't bother them. They don't care. They'll put it right in the garbage and uh, let it be. And I can't have that. So, and I also know they're not going into the garbage. There's been, there have been times, ladies and gentlemen, that I have gone on a business trip, been gone a couple of days, and have come back, and the garbage has been removed from its receptacle in the kitchen. And not taken out to the, you know, the outside bin, but uh, just put by the back door. For me to take from the back door and put in the outside bin, as if somehow touching the outside bin or putting in the outside bin is uh, just beneath them. But here's another irony. I don't want them touching the garbage now anymore. Because they now, I, I have a system down packed, and, and, and I don't want that system interfered with, you know, with recycling and everything that you're required to do. So I have a system of what goes in the regular garbage, what goes in the recycling garbage, what goes in this container. And I said, just leave it alone and let me do my system. But, you know, when it's garbage day, you know, so they pick from me. They pick up Friday morning. So Thursday is Thursday evening is garbage day. Rain, sleet, or snow, which we don't get any snow. We certainly don't get any sleet, and we were getting a little bit of rain. But if we were, they wouldn't be going out there. Eleven o'clock at night. I'm the one out there bringing out the garbage bins to the street to the street to the curbside. No free lunch. If I want that garbage empty, that's what I got to do. No one else is doing it for me. Until the grand boys get up to about, uh, what do you say, eight, eight, seven, eight, or nine, and they can start uh, pitching in. That's all I'm giving them. All right, that's that. Um, let's do a little bit of a, uh, just a little bit. you non-football fans, bear with me. The games were great this weekend. I didn't have a dog in the hunt. Just wanted to have good games. 
I do want to just comment very briefly on the Cincinnati Bengals who lost to the Pittsburgh Steelers. And the reason I want to comment on that game is because not on the game. If anyone's out there that was watching the game, the behavior of some of the Cincinnati players, and even though they were in a position to win the game and forces within their control caused them to lose the game, uh, they deserve to lose if not for only moral purposes, they deserve to lose. Um, Their conduct on the field was an embarrassment, even for a casual fan who wouldn't understand what was going on. uh, Their conduct was an embarrassment. I was embarrassed watching them, how they were carrying on. So to me, and I, like I said, I'm not a, I don't root for Cincinnati. I wasn't rooting for Pittsburgh. I just said, you know what? I'm glad they lost. And in my opinion, the coach should uh, get fired because if you can't control your players, then you shouldn't be coaching at that level. That's that. That's all I wanted to say on football for this week. I'm sure uh, Mr. Co-host would have had some more because uh, we had some firings and whatnot. That we didn't get a chance. I don't think we talked about last week, but we'll see. Um, an interesting, an interesting thing I read this weekend uh, that caused a lot of raging comments and funny that one of our um, X file questions. Is on this topic. So I'm just going to go out of order a little bit because I think it's important to read this uh, this post that was made on one of the online groups regarding uh, the group is called it's the Addiction and Recovery Group. And Ricky from San Pablo um, asks a question on our X-Files, why do people say addiction is a disease? And I wasn't sure if I was going to get to that question because it was way down in the pile, but I thought it was, you know, apropos that I read his question and then read the comment, the post that was made, and then some of the comments. I I didn't comment because there were enough raging comments to comment enough for everybody. So the, the the title of the post was, Is Addiction Really a Brain Disease? Question mark. And this is what the uh, gentleman wrote. Telling the public that addiction is a chronic and relapsing brain disease, in quotations, suggests that an addict's disembodied brain holds the secrets to understanding and helping him. It implies that medication is necessary and that interventions must be applied directly at the level of the brain. But that's not how people recover. For actress Jamie Lee Curtis, for example, quitting painkillers was a spiritual matter. When she appeared on Larry King Live recently, the guest host asked her, What made you get clean? She responded, Well, you know what? 
that turning point was was really a moment between me and God. I never went to treatment. I walked into the door of a 12-step program, which is treatment in a way, and I have not walked out since. So that was the entirety of, of the gentleman's post. And here are some of the comments. Oh, and by the way, if you're going to if you're going to AA to get sober, that is great and all, but it is not about you. When we make it about helping another human being, not not when we make it about helping another human being not drink or use drugs for 24 hours, miracles do occur and life sure gets a whole lot better looking. Another comment. Uh oh, this is um the poster's comment to that comment, um, I'm not going to say his name, you may be surprised to know that there are 25 million people in long-term recovery. I'm not surprised by that. And AA says that they have about 2 million members. Interesting, right? Question mark. Uh, another person with a comment, spiritual experience changes brain chemistry like many things. The neurological system is the interface between Energy and matter, or spirit and body, change the brain to change your life. Interesting. I like that one. Another comment. Spirituality and spiritual approaches to recovery have a profound impact and I believe are a necessary component of successful treatment. But this doesn't negate the understanding that addiction is a chronic brain disease prone to relapse. Different individuals require different approaches, some of which may include medication and treatment while others may not. This is the role of, a, of any practitioner to determine the proper course or courses of action in terms of what an individual suffering from addiction may require. All that being said, I very much believe in and support the 12-step approach in conjunction with other biopsychosocial and spiritual components. I like that comment. Uh, another gentleman liked that comment, said thank you very much. Thank you for your comment. I agree with you. And this is the last one, last comment. And, mo and all of these comments are being made by um, professionals, psychologists, psychiatrists, therapists, etc. Uh, addiction is a disease which the addict causes. The best way to understand the process is to compare it with something like type 2 diabetes. If someone spends X amount of time living in unhealthy ways, poor diet, lack of exercise, etc., they may end up with type 2 diabetes they now have problems with their blood sugar and are diabetic. Someone who abuses drugs and alcohol over a period of time alters their brain chemistry to such an extent that they end up with the, in quotations, disease of addiction. They are not born with this altered addict's brain chemistry. They cause the disease of addiction through abuse of the substances, just like someone the person with type 2 diabetes caused it with unhealthy foods. 
Both can be reversed, however, just like the type 2 diabetes who has to alter their diet from then on to try and reverse the blood sugar problems. The addict has to abstain from substances, alcohol abuse from then on, or they will be back to square one. Very, very interesting stuff. I like that comment, too. So in these groups, you know, people raise very interesting questions about addiction and recovery and the, you know, the various uh, means and methods of dealing with it. And, you know, the spectrum is wide from A to Z. And ultimately, as you could see from a couple of the comments, you know, there is no right or wrong. It's really ultimately what works for the particular person that's sitting in front of you. Um, because we've seen many, many a case over the years where, you know, one form of treatment has not shown itself to be effective with a particular person and they go somewhere else and we hear and, and they experience a different form of treatment and we hear that they had had significant success. No one knows why, um, but it just speaks to the uniqueness of each person and what what may grab them and hold them and, uh, and 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 keep them plugged in and i don't think anyone has the um the patent on that and no one should if if your thing is about your your you know your treatment model you know, and and that should be it. Then, if you're if you're tied or wedded to your treatment model versus to the success of the individual, then your priorities are mixed up. That's what I'm trying to say. Okay, so our uh, humble co-host, a couple of shows ago, while we were in our recovery support time segment was responding and commenting to a question raised by a caller. And I think it had to do with AA or NA and and some kind of a comment. I think it was about the, um, what was it? I think it was relapse is a part of recovery. I think that was the, the question was, is relapse a part of recovery? And um, I think what our humble co-host had mentioned as a part of his response is like it's not like it's one of the Ten Commandments. And so the moment I heard that, I said to him offline that, uh, well, you, you just came up with uh, an idea of a of a show, which was uh, the Ten Commandments of Recovery which we're going to count down in three three shows, three a three-part series. Today's part one of three. Today we're going to do commandment number 10, 9, and 8. And yes, they are a take off of the religious Ten Commandments, but our Ten Commandments of Recovery are not religious-based. So keep your hats on. Don't go running for the door. Um... And for those of you who were uh, who are schooled in the religious Ten Commandments, you should be able to notice some of the takes, the clever takes. I'm saying they're clever. I hope they're clever. 
clever takes uh, uh, that we're using off of the commandments themselves. Um, and but we're not trying to use, we're not going to use the basis or the, the the meaning of the religious commandments for the basis of our Ten Commandments of Recovery. Um, we're just going to try and place use some word play, use the ten com- religious Ten Commandments as word play for the Ten Commandments of Recovery. So I hope I've sufficiently confused you um, as to what we're actually uh, trying to do. Uh, our humble co-host has re-entered the studio. I don't know if he's plugged back in yet and, and online. Let me see. Are you uh, plugged in, sir? Yes. Yes, indeed. I okay. can, can hear myself loud and clear, and I'm not going to comment on your self-proclaimed wit. Okay, we'll let the audience be mm-hmm. the judge of how uh, witty or clever the crossover might be here. I, I realized that as soon as the words left my <laughs> mouth that I was uh, commenting on my own. Tooting your own horn. Commenting so on my own cleverness without knowing if I was going if it was going to be clever or, or not. Okay. Just had to temporarily drop that because that's one of my favorite moments every week, and I'm not sure if you did that with me uh, missing at the beginning of the show there. I did do it, um, and I did, you know, say that uh, you would have to speak on your own. Um, (laughs) And you could take a couple of minutes. The only thing I addressed was my comments on the Cincinnati Bengals-Pittsburgh Steelers game and the conduct of the Cincinnati Bengals in that I was glad. Let me guess. Let me guess mm-hmm. where you stood on that since we haven't even discussed this outside the studio. Mm-hmm. You are on the side of that it is not the fault of the refs and how they called it, but the fault of Cincinnati, and they kind of brought it upon themselves with their unprofessionalism the way they crumbled. Because yes. there's people on both sides there. Yes, I, I said their behavior – their the, the the things that happened in the in, at the end of the game were 100% within their control That's exactly even right. after the fumble mhm and their professional behavior their conduct which was embarrassing even to the casual observer yep. uh was the single reason why they lost the game and morally and rightfully so they should have lost okay so i'm on the same side I've really got um, nothing to add other than I was going to ask you, uh, as somebody who is a New York fan as well as Dallas, um, if you believe that Tom Coughlin, for the time he was there, record and all, and I guess there were, I don't know, a certain consecutive amount of seasons without a playoff appearance. Six six out of the last seven. Uh, do you still believe he was a great coach? I only ask because now there's word on the street that the Niners have requested permission to interview him, and I don't know if you feel like he was at the end or if he's still got more in the tank. He's definitely got more in the tank. Um, I would only want him to go to I, – I wouldn't want him to go to a rebuilding situation just because of his age. Needs um, to go to more something that's kind of ready something or, on the, or on the crest. Or, or, yeah, something that's just on the precipice, precipice of – you know, being there because 
rebuilding you, takes energy and time, and you got to have the right franchise that's willing to give you that time. Right. And they're going to look at his age. He's 69, going to be turning 70. Um, right. So, but I, I thought it was interesting that uh, Philly was interested in him and what that would look like if they hired him and, and kept it. And he was in, in the NFC East. Did you hear what the new Philadelphia Daily, the headline of their newspaper this morning? No. Don't know if it's rumor or not, and they stated that on KMBR, but word on the street, if you have your ear to the street, is behind the scenes, Philly is trying to coerce Mr. John Gruden with a large amount of money to come in and coach him. Your thoughts? Well, I'm sure they're going to try and throw money at a lot of people. Yeah, Um, yeah. Bill Cower and yeah. any of the guys who are out uh, that are big names that have big track records. Yeah, because whoever comes in is going to have to tear up that offense and start from scratch. Right, and I guarantee you they'll be going to I formation. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. So. All right. Yeah. No. I have. I have nothing. Well, I guess one thing I would brief briefly comment on is mm-hmm. the two characters who were flagged at the end of that Cincinnati game, Vontez Burfict and Adam Jones, both um, both have sketchy track records at best. I'm actually not even speaking of Adam Jones because I think that was um tic tac tic tac either way. Yeah. I, I think the the ref the, the ref didn't throw the, the People get confused between the ref and the official. You know, the officials they kind of use them interchangeably in football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, not the line judges, but the head official. Yeah, and right. Like, so the referee did not throw the flag. Right. Um, it was thrown by some, the umpire or the back judge or someone right. that was in the mix in the center of the field threw the flag. Um, I thought that that should have been a case of dual flags or you know offsetting offsetting penalties because the coach was out there, the assistant coach, Terry was Porter, out, right. Joey Joey Porter. Joey Porter, yeah. From Bakersfield, California, by the way. That's right. Um, so to me, that should have been offsetting. But definitely the the gentleman with the with the hit. Um fifteen now they put him at the fifty. They still had an opportunity to stop him. Yeah. You know, one more I mean? they would have needed one, one more, more play to really get them into goal range. Right. So Yeah, they made an analogy and I thought it was a good one, elementary, but good nonetheless, of Players that have a track record like that, that mm-hmm. are ultra-talented or supremely talented, that they used Randy Moss for an example. and Kind of yeah. terrible and everything showing in Oakland, and then when he goes to New England, calms down for a little bit, but near the tail end, it started to kick up kick again. Back, yeah. And they said it's kind of like training like a tiger or a lion, mm-hmm. where you get him trained well enough to you can feed him and pet him, but... Every once in a while, that lion's going to come out, no matter how much training you've given him. Yeah. And um, I thought that that was kind of a perfect analogy for those players that teams are willing to take risks on mm-hmm. because they're supremely talented and have top-end potential, but every once in a while, you know, might make a not-so-intelligent decision. They might need some uh, mental health assessment <laughs> off right. the field. Right, right. I'm, I'm dead serious. Though, by the way, oh, no, because of course. the 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 picture, uh, the poster child of that, and he he, you know, the new Hall of Famer, uh huh, or was it last year? He was he was I'm talking with Charles Haley. Sure. Okay. Look at his career. How he, you know he was a pain in the rear in San Francisco, became a pain in the rear in Dallas, but still won five Super Bowls, two with, right. you know, and three with Dallas, two with San Francisco. Right. 
Um, supremely talented. Supremely talented. And his wife, in the middle of his career, you know, looked up in the book and said, hey, you, you suffer from manic depression based on all the symptoms that he was displaying. Sure. And he blew her off. And when he retired and his playing days were over, he kind of, you know, gave in, went to seek help. You mm-hmm. know, what the hell's going mm-hmm. on? What's wrong with me? Blah, blah, blah. And he was diagnosed as bi- with bipolar disorder. Right. And ever since then, he's a totally different guy. Right. He's a totally different guy. Exactly. And so he speaks speaks about it and talks about it and tries to mentor others and so mm-hmm. on and so forth. And you can now see, I mean, I think it's easy to look at guys and say, you know, I wonder if that guy has some mental health issues that can be addressed or sure. feel that are that are leaking onto the playing field. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. So, so something incredibly similar or almost like a lateral comparison that happened with another supremely talented athlete, not football, you might know where I'm going with this, but Mike Tyson. Yeah. Who actually went into a residential facility and yeah. was in it to get help and now he has a like a Broadway play or yeah. something he does and he tours and yeah. same kind of deal. Yeah. So yeah, it it happens. It's it's reality. Yep. That's all I got. All right. So uh when you Where are we at? When you rudely came back into the studio and interrupted <laughs> you, me, I was uh Did you explain to the t- the the audience how you stole my Ten Commandments uh deal? No, no. This is not a uh, host Roach original? No, I actually gave you 105% credit yes. for coming up with it. And well then, done. And when you, while you were walking back into the studio, I was in the middle of explaining that. Okay. But when but we went live before, we went live after you, before you left, mm-hmm. and I had said, talked about our topic being something that you were the catalyst uh, wonderful. for. So you've gotten all the credit. Good, good. Uh, all the kudos. I like that. Okay. Um, so, number ten. These are the recover the ten commandments of recovery. Okay. okay. Yeah, I like it. And we're gonna do ten, nine, and eight. Have you already touched on ten? No, I'm, I'm okay. starting right now with number ten. Great. Thou shall not covet the life, the material things, and the friends of others. Boy, how hard is that to do? Let me, that, folks. That's hard for people who aren't in recovery. Okay, that's that's a good one. I'd like to hear your elaboration on this. I have something to add when you're done. So, what I thought about with this one was one of the unwritten philosophies, but I don't want to use it because. That unwritten philosophy is one of my, our elite the eight. Elite eight, okay. Okay. So, but I thought of something else. There's a phrase that we've used for many years in the therapeutic community to people, and that phrase is looking outside yourself. Do you remember that? Stop. Yes. Look, stop looking outside yourself. Yes. So. You're, you know, you're called on something, but you point to the other person, right? Or you're being, uh, you're having a conversation about a one thing, and you point out, you know, something else. So you, anything to take the focus off the, of, of you. The term they use these days is deflecting. It, that's okay. Yeah. That's, I've heard what that, you said, that, and that was used back in the yeah. day. Today they use the term deflecting, right. which makes sense a little more to the point. Yeah. Um. So, 
Well, well, wait a second. So today they say deflecting, and we what did we say back in the day? Stop looking well, outside, outside yourself. Right. Which one sounds more elegant? Deflecting is like deflecting is like a, a car part. It's like that thing you put on the front of your your hood to <laughs> deflect rocks so it doesn't hit your windshield. <laughs> where we say stop looking outside yourself. It's like wow, wait a second. Let me introspect on that for a second. Looking outside myself. There's more elegance to that. So anyway. Okay. So not coveting the life, the material things, and the friends of others. When when you're going through this, I see this occur mostly on the tail end of the first trimester of 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 recovery and in during the middle of recovery. Not so much in the in the third trimester and as people move into the post treatment part of their re- recovery process. Um, you know, you, you look at people who might be doing their thing or people who are succeeding in recovery and you receive it in, for lack of a better term, in a negative way rather than a positive way, meaning as you you, you look at them and say, you know, hey, that's that's a role, a, a role model for me to aspire to. To, or that's what I want to aspire for. But I, ha- I have, I don't envy them. I'm not jealous of where they're at. Because why am I not jealous, or why shouldn't I be jealous? Because I'm working my I'll way there too. to get to right. the same place. Okay. And obviously, the, the reason I put material things in there is because you didn't see this too much in 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 daytop because you're not exposed to it in the Catskill Mountains, but here, out here, you're exposed to it. People get to a certain status in their treatment, certain phase in their treatment, and they they might start to acquire material things, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying, all the way up to including cars. You know what I mean? It used to, it used to be, not so much now, but it used to be like one of the first things people got to phase you know, four or late phase three and they were working, they, you know, spent all their money on buying a car. I didn't blame them because out here the public transportation is not like it is back in New York. Right. You know what I mean? So you kind of need a car. You know what I mean? True. I didn't blame them, but, you know, so you you would want the residents that are still, you know, that aren't there, you know, not to, you know, not to be swayed by the, the shiny things, the, the play things, the, the material things that mm-hmm. others may acquire at their point wherever they're at in their recovery process. Yeah. You know, stay, you know, stay focused on where you're at. Mm-hmm. You know, those things that you might aspire to obtain are going to come in due time or as my mother would say in due season. Okay. <laughs> I've never heard that. I yeah. actually like that a lot better. In due season, you know. Um and well, I also put friends. Well, what do you mean coveting friends? Well, I mean that literally and figuratively. So the figurative aspect is we always talk about, you know, building the foundations of friendships while you're in treatment because that's all you're doing. You're laying the groundwork. You're not, you don't make friends while you're in treatment. You're laying the groundwork because the, the, friend, the, the, the groundwork and the foundation doesn't get uh, tested, the strength of it, until you're out in the real world. Mm-hmm. You know, we can be real close and real tight in the confines of the treatment environment, but we're not tested. 
Yeah. You know, until we're, we leave. And that's always the case, you know. And that someone leaves with seven friends, and before you, you know, when they're out there, they only have two. Yeah. Well, because the others weren't really your friends. Acquaintances. Right. They, they were your treatment friends, but, you know, the real deals are made and, and fine tuned and honed outside of the treatment environment. Mm-hmm. But the seeds are planted, the foundation is uh, poured, you know, in here. So you're left with some empty foundations, no homes are built on them. <laughs> yeah. You know, and somewhere yeah. homes are built. Right. Okay. And you got long standing uh, friendships that come out of it. So uh we want you to not so that's a figurative aspect. Literally is we don't want you to be envious of uh, of, of friendships that you might see, whether the ones that are are work building inside the treatment or outside the treatment. We want you to focus on building your own. Yeah. Working on your own. Uh, friendships, have that be a goal for you to, have, you know, make good friends in, within your peer group and uh, cultivate them and and make it important to sustain them. So, and others just encapsulates anything and everything. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that we might think of along <laughs> the way that you might covet. So that's my opinion. I like it. It's good. I think. Um... One thing that is very important to recovery and just to being satisfied in life in general is to find content and happiness where you are, wherever you are at any given time, as long as you are attempting to do the right thing, is where you should be. And you should embrace that and and live that for that moment for what it is day to day. One thing, we have a a friend of the show who you actually I actually don't know if you would give him such the title. We discussed him before the show. I don't know if we can call him a friend of the show yet, but a gentleman by the nickname of the Hillsboro Hobo mm-hmm. who has passed his calendar year time to give us a call mm-hmm. shared with me something his grandfather said that I think speaks to this pretty clearly. And he said his grandfather told he and his brothers that no matter where you're at in life, in the spectrum, either socioeconomically, financially, um, life-like, relationship-wise, there's always going to be somebody who has less, and there's always going to be somebody who has more. Mm-hmm. Now, he we interpreted that in different ways, actually, when he told me that. Uh, he took it as maybe something to stay, to state that you should continue to work and work hard to strive for whoever that is that's above you to, to continue to motivate you, mm-hmm. that there's more out there to get. Mm-hmm. To me, I took it as a message of finding happiness with where you are in life as long as you're doing the right thing and and you know enjoying what you have with where mm-hmm. you are. Because to me, his statement of no matter what you do, mm-hmm. no matter how hard you work, no matter how rich you get with friends, money, relationships, someone will always be above you and someone will always be below you. And to me, that was him maybe telling his grandchildren that you need to be grateful for where you are and what you do and and happy with what you have. Because I'm not leaving you nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Right. A life lesson in, in more ways than one. 
But I thought that that was a very – it's just a powerful and kind of wise perception from someone who's lived a little bit. Mm-hmm. His grandfather was a very successful man in more ways than that's, one. That's why I made the joke. Right, that's right. We, we know that, yeah. <laughs> and so to think about someone who was as successful as he was throughout his life, sharing that perception, um, you know, kind of spoke volumes to me about, you know what, no matter where you are or where you get – you're always going to be able to look up and look down and compare yourself to others. Mm -hmm. And so being grateful with where you are, if you're in good health and have good friends and are enjoying your life is, is important. Yep. I think it speaks to our number 10 right there. Okay. Number nine, thou shall be honest with thyself. You go first. (laughs) All right. Well, I like how you put honest with thyself. Mm Mm-hmm. That's a major part to distinguishing the type of honesty we're talking about Mm -hmm. here. Because especially in a therapeutic community, it is very easy to point the high-powered perception rifle at everybody else in the group around you. Mm -hmm. Um, People have great insight and know exactly what everybody needs to do and Mm -hmm. exactly where everybody is uh, making mistakes. Mm -hmm. Being able to point that that perception rifle at yourself, another story. And a whole new other ball of wax. A whole new other ball of wax. And it is probably the, the biggest or most important part of honesty, in my opinion, is, is the ability to do that with yourself, mm-hmm. to be honest with yourself. Um, everything starts with you mm-hmm. in your life, whether it be your career, whether it be being a parent, whether it be a friend, whatever it is. Um, we get a ton of people in recovery who love to help others mm-hmm. and want to be there for others. And even folks who can't be there for themselves yet, oh, my children this, or mm-hmm. my mom or dad this, and mm-hmm. I need to be there for them. And when we come to the understanding that we can't be there for anybody else or anyone else until we can be there for ourselves. Mm-hmm. We can't be honest with others until we can be honest with ourselves. Um, really grasping that and understanding that, and like I like the word you used, cultivating. Mm-hmm. Cultivating that kind of internal moral compass is of the utmost importance if you ever plan to help anyone else mm-hmm. or be there for anyone else. Or be the best version of yourself you can be in any of those roles. Mm-hmm. Employee, manager, husband, wife, son, father, daughter, mm-hmm. uh, mother, whatever the case may be. Um, it starts with you. And it is probably the most challenging thing to do. Mm-hmm. To be honest with other people and give genuine feedback and be a good ear. And in any realm that you find yourself in being in that position is much easier than it is to look in the mirror and say, you know what, this aspect of my life or this this part of how I behave or this issue that I've never talked about, mm-hmm. these are things that I really, really need to work on. Mm-hmm. And that's really difficult because you might be the person in the group where someone is disclosing something really, really deep mm-hmm. and really powerful And as kind of a natural human instinct, you want to be supportive of them. You want to be there for them. It may be emotionally draining while you're there for somebody else, Mm -hmm. but that's about the extent of the difficulty. Mm -hmm. But to be the one to be in that chair 
and disclosing something you haven't disclosed before or mm-hmm. even just standing before a group of your peers and saying, this is something that I need to change. Mm-hmm. This is something that's going to lead me back to where I was. And today I can own that. Mm-hmm. I need help with this. That's very, very difficult to do. However, if you are genuine with yourself mm-hmm. and that insight and put that out there, mm-hmm. that is what is the seed. That is what is going to enable you to grow because you can't change something that you don't believe needs to be changed. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's kind of where I stand with, with number nine. Thou shalt be honest with thyself. I'm going to go back to football and quote the great Bill Parcells. <laughs> Here it is. Because it works from both ends. Mm-hmm. Good and bad. And Bill Parcells says, you must be okay with the man in the mirror. Man meaning man, women, child, whatever, right? Little Michael Jackson right there. (laughs) You must be okay with the man in the mirror. And what that means is whoever that person is looking right back at you, you must be okay with that person. That may mean that that person could be a terrible person. A terrible person. Can you look in the mirror and say to yourself, I'm a terrible person? That's what we mean by being honest with yourself. Now, that does not, it has nothing to do with you going out on the street and saying to other people, I'm a terrible person. But can you go in the bathroom and look in the mirror, knowing what you know that others may not know, or they may know, okay? But knowing what you know about yourself, because you know the old saying, we say this all the time, you cannot fool yourself. Yes, you can fool me. You can lie to me. You can fool me. You can trick me, all of that good stuff. But you can't lie to yourself, fool yourself, trick yourself, unless you're truly insane, but Aside from that, it's impossible to do because you know what your truth is. So we always say what your truth is. When you look in the mirror, what's your truth? Who is the person staring back at you? We're not talking about this. This commandment doesn't mean about uh, whether or not you are truthful on your job application or truthful on your apartment application. And things of that nature, you know the 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 other things having to do with living and life, but whether or not you are honest with you yourself looking in the mirror, number one, and if you are, have you developed the ability to then extend that outward to other, you know towards other people right, so they then look back look at so the other people can look at you and say, you know. That that's a honest person right there. Not only from what they're saying, but what they've displayed, their actions and so on and so forth. Not just their words. Which then reinforces what you say when you look in the mirror. That's why I say it's whether it's on the good side or even on the bad side. Because let's say you're a terrible person, you do terrible things and people say, you know what, you're a we're on radio, right? So we can't say the okay. Yeah, so, watch yourself. You're a terrible person, yeah. right? And you know you're a terrible person, so the person just reinforced what you already know. 
You know what I mean? So it works right. both ways, good or bad. When we say honest, I know we instinctively are thinking about, you know, can you can you but you have to speak whatever your truth is when you're looking at the man in the mirror. And again, when we say man, we mean all living humans. All living beings, right. right. Okay. Number eight of the Ten Commandments of Recovery, counting down. Thou shall not cheat thy recovery. Goes back to how you ended the being honest with yourself. Well, I, I also have some other things to throw in there about cheating your recovery. You know how you uh, <laughs> we say uh, about cutting corners, having negative reservations. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> cutting corners and having negative reservations. The cutting corners has to do with how you practice going about living in your recovery. Starting from day one, right? We talk about the first trimester is, is the learning period. Right. We learn everything we got to learn, or we should learn everything we need to learn about what we got to change, what we got to fix, what we got to talk about, what we got to, you know, what we got to do. And we spend the second trimester and part to the third practicing, you know, being the way that we know we need to be in order to succeed in our recovery process. Mm -hmm. Well, if we cut corners, we try and get slick. If we got negative reservations that we're holding on to and not talking about, not flushing out, okay, then we're starting to cheat. Right. We're starting to cheat that recovery process, and we're starting down that, starting that, that little tiny ice ball starts rolling <laughs> rolling right, down the right, Sierra, right. Sierra Nevada mountains <laughs> <laughs> until you're crushing towns below so yeah i mean to me there's really no such thing as cheating your recovery it's exactly what you said when you were wrapping up about being honest with yourself and how you can lie or fool or trick somebody else but you can't trick yourself cuz in the end that's going to come back to you you can cheat or cut corners your recovery all you want, but the only person that's coming back to in the end is yourself. And so there is no such thing. To me, you know, and I don't want to get too deep into the ethical debate here, but you could cheat on a test, get away with it, and get an A. Mm -hmm. If you, you know, say you cheated off the right person, so to speak, or somehow you, you found a way. You can't. There is no A. There is no – if you want to relate the A on the test to getting your phase four, phase five, or whatever, your inpatient completion and being able to leave in a timely manner, mm -hmm. sure. If that's the comparison you want to make, okay, you cheated and it lessened the time that you needed to be here. But that comes back to get you tenfold later on when you're out when you come across the situation that you don't know how to deal with because you missed the boat while you were in there trying to take care of yourself. See, but you're you're making a correct a correct argument and an ultimate argument that ultimately you can't you can't cheat your recovery. Right. And what we're saying is when we say thou shalt shall not cheat thy recovery is we're, we're it's a commandment. 
you're, you're being commanded that thou shalt not cheat thy recovery because we're saying ultimately you're going to fail. Right. You know what I mean? You're going to fail. And it's no different than someone doing dirt, you know, while they were in treatment and it never comes to pass. It never gets to the light of day. And, you know, eventually what doesn't come out in the wash comes out in the rinse. Okay. And even if we never see your face again, it's something you, you know you did wrong. You know you did it. And as long as you know you did it, it's all that matters. So you can't you can't be you you, you can't cheat. Because if you know you cheated, then it's going to you will uh it comes back to what we spent last week talking about, ultimately. There's no free lunch. Mm-hmm. If you cheat, you're going to have to pay the piper. At some, some point. some way, shape, or form at some point. Exactly. Now, how that manifests itself, I have no idea. Don't know how it may manifest itself. Some people may go 10 years. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I'm aware of people... As I sit here today, that have twenty years, thirty years, that have committed <laughs> uh, rule serious rule violations. Uh huh. Okay. Uh, years and years and years ago, uh, that have not come clean. I've, I've never seen them again. Okay, but they are living in their minds as graduates. Okay, and um. Well, I can't say what's in their minds, but the, I would surmise, and I could be wrong, because if they're human, they know what they've done, and they also know how to make it right. You know how we say clean it up right. to make it right, but they're choosing, I guess would be the right word, to continue to string out the cheating rather than... Uh, clean it up and and correct it. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. So they know they've done dirt. They know what the process is to to to. Uh, this is the only time I'll throw a religious term in to repent. Okay, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it's fitting here. It's fitting okay. here. They know what they got to do to repent and get right. Right. Okay, you know they get right with the Lord. Right. They know what they got to do to get right, and uh, they've chosen not to. So. I don't know. I, I I don't know what it's like to live and or exist in recovery that way. I would only have to if a person came, okay, mm-hmm. many years later and came back to us and said, "Hey, while I was in treatment, this is what I did. I never ever cop to it. Okay, I want to make it right and clean it up." I would then have the opportunity to ask them, well, what was it like for you to be out there all these years with that and holding, you know, that. holding that and and living with that? How how was that? And we may find out some great good inf- insight, some good insight, you know, but other than that, we can only speculate. But that's why the commandment's there. Number eight, thou shalt not cheat thy recovery. Then you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> right, exactly. But, Follow it. But the, the But the wonderful thing. And let's not let's not forget this point. The wonderful thing about uh, the Ten Commandments of Recovery is that 
there will always be a way to make it right. You know what I'm saying? Yep. So you can make it right if you choose to make it right. Compensation is valid. All right, don't, don't. Don't 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 mess in, with a potential don't possibly elite eight. infringe upon one of the elite the remaining elite eights. All right, all right. Of the unwritten. Fair enough. So let's review number ten of our Ten Commandments of Recovery. Thou shalt not covet the life, the material things, and the friends of others. Number nine, thou shalt be honest with thyself. And I just want to say real quickly on number nine, you you touched on it a little bit. People come into the recovery process, and they hear over and over and over and over again about being honest, being honest, being honest, being honest. And I don't think it's stressed enough that when we say be honest, be honest, be honest, that we're first talking about being honest with yourself mm-hmm. um, and getting that down-packed and getting that to become a regular part of your lifestyle. Um, and then number eight, thou shalt not cheat thy recovery in the many different ways that you can cheat. So what do you think? Those are the first three, 10, nine, and eight. I think they're great. I think they like them. I think at some point throughout this three-part series, we need to figure out as the church, if you broke a commandment and went and spoke to the priest about that, would have you say about 40 Hail Marys, what we do to folks in treatment if you break one of the Ten Commandments? Um, we'll come up with something. <laughs> we'll have to come up with something. Actually, it, the, 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 uh, what is, since you use the, the reference of the Catholic Church, um, yeah. There's, what's the term that they use? Uh, uh, there's a term that they use. You'll think of it. But um, Catholic term. Yeah, it's used in the Catholic Church. But we already, describes what? We already have the – well, what is it when the priest – what is it called when the priest tells you, uh, okay, say 10 – you know, you said Hail Mary. It's, it really? it's when you go to confession. Right, no, but then when he tells you what you need to do in order to make it right, mm-hmm. isn't there a term for that? Not that I'm familiar with. Okay, I thought there was a. T- I thought that that was called something. Not the things he tells you to do, but that process is called a thing. I always thought it was called something. Yeah, whenever we in, in growing up, and I did grow up in the Catholic Church. In growing up, about once a year, you would go to confession, right? And you'd be in a little confessional yeah. booth mm-hmm. and whatever. And then the priest, okay, you know, go say ten Hail Marys, and that was that. I don't know if there's a term for that actual okay. process. Okay. But. So, in 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 other denominations, okay, uh, of the Judeo-Christian uh, religion umbrella, umbrella, I would think they would. I think they use the term uh, repent, repenting. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, it, as the umbrella term for what, and then what you may do to show repenting or is repentance. Yeah. Okay. So we already have it built in. We already have things that we have people do. <laughs> I mean, yeah, true. <laughs> to true. show repentance. You know what I mean? So uh, and we'll with, share some of those we'll, along the yeah, theory. We can share some, we'll share what some of those things are. And I think it, it would only be fair to share from way back. How far? I got a good one for how that. far we have evolved? <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
to uh, current day uh, repentance. Uh, sure. Things. Yeah, that'll be fun. Give folks a little insight. All right. Unless there's anything else you want to add, sir, um, we're at the top of the hour. We can take our top of the hour music break and then come back with recovery support time. I think what I'd like to do is take. You also missed uh, you missed something I did differently, and you're while you were out. I was uh, talking to our audience about a, a raging controversy that was in one of the groups online, the addiction and recovery group. Okay. Regarding uh, addiction being a brain disease. Ah. Okay. So. Sounds right up my alley, but I'm sure I'll be able to get to it at some point. What I'd like to do. Is, well, as um, Alice Cramden's mother said to Ralph Cramden once, you missed it. <laughs> sure, sure it is. <laughs> Swing and a miss. It's not coming back. I hear that. No, we, we had a commercial break planned for if we needed a quick commercial and then our top of the hour break. We might go with those songs back to back because there's something off there. And for the audience, a little teaser I'm going to try and surprise the host here with. Okay. So, uh so we're going to play a couple songs for you back-to-back, then we're going to get to Recovery Sports Time. We do see we have a couple callers on hold. We appreciate your being patient and hope you've enjoyed the show to this point. We look forward to talking to you on the other side.
Coming up next is OCG Radio's Recovery Support Time, where our hosts provide support and guidance for your recovery-related questions and issues. Recovery Support Time, where it's our time to help you. Welcome back to Roach on Recovery. We are in recovery support time. Luckily, there are no cameras in the studio to uh, witness all the nonsense that was going on. (laughs) (laughs) Trying to, uh, well, we're trying trying to beat the clock on uh, getting some electronic stuff done. Uh, to add to the show, we've got a reputation out there, okay, uh, well, for our but, uh, song selection to some. So, so we tried, we tried, but the internet was not uh, complying. All right, can I get my uh, oh my entree, please? The yes, exactly. Good question to start us off from uh, David, San Francisco. What is the best way to express that you're in recovery uh, if the subject comes up at the workplace? Hmm. That's a great. That's a. That's a great question. It's real. It's real. It's real. Who you knows? will return to the real world at some point. And you know who knows well, under what conditions, circumstances, conversations, or whatever that you may find yourself in where you know somehow it'll come up somehow it'll come up now i guess you're in control of it to a certain extent i.e not bringing up the conversation yeah okay but um i guess the way to interpret his his question is he's asking what's the best way to to express so that's a willing he's like being proactive, what's the best way to express that you're in recovery at work? If it, it, so, for example, hey, let's go get grab a couple of beers after work. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, right. how do you uh, how do you say circumvent that situation? Right, without uh, you know, let the cat out of the bag, <laughs> or or seeming like a, a tool. <laughs> right, 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 exactly. Man, oh no, guys, I'll I'll, uh, I'll stick with the Coca Cola, thanks. But um. To me, honesty is always the best. Uh, the best, you know, being direct and to the, you know, to the point and in a uh, respectful, dignified way. Yeah, you're hey, not trying to be condescending, right? Or... Hey, guys, I'd love to go. I don't drink. But I'll go along with you. You know what I mean? If they serve sodas or whatever, I'll go. You right. Know? I can drink some sodas and have some pretzels and whatever, but I, I right. don't drink. If if you're at the point that you can find yourself in, in that establishment, which if you go to any restaurant, that's a, that. That's the deal. Exactly. Okay. Uh, I'm not talking about the corner bar, obviously. Okay. <laughs> but, but it's always my goal for anyone I come into contact with that's in recovery. It's always – I say it's my goal. But it's, it's my goal for them 
to have it as a goal that they can reach a point in their recovery process where they can be anywhere. They can go into any environment. Okay. Right. And it has no impact on what decisions that they'll make. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So if you and your buddies are hanging out off to work and they want to go to the corner bar to, to, to hang out and they want to drink beer and you can drink ginger ale. That's what I like, by the way, or drink sodas and hang out with them and, and, and socialize. But you don't have to, you know, drink any alcohol. Yeah. I think another reason to be honest about it, like you said, it is just to get it on the table. Because rest assured, if you come up with some excuse like, oh, you know what, my wife wants me home early tonight. All right, well, next Friday when it comes up again, you're going to have to find another until if you just put it on the table, that's it. It's a one-time deal. Mm -hmm. They know the drill moving forward. Mm -hmm. You don't have to keep pulling uh, rabbits out of a hat, so to speak. Yeah, before you know, they'll be, you know, David, you're coming with us. We know you don't drink. Who, who gives a rats? You're coming. We got some sodas in the cooler for you. And that's the way it should be if they respect your position and where you're at. All right. Uh, next one up. What is the d definition of depression? or clinical depression, if there is one, and how does alcohol affect this diagnosis, or does it? Okay, well, first of all, if you listen to our disclaimer at the beginning of our show, we're not doctors. So we cannot give medical advice. So to answer your question, what is the definition of depression or clinical depression, the best person to answer that would be your doctor. Because either you're asking for information's sake or you're asking for personal sake. For informational sake, I'll just tell you to Google it. I'm not going to give a definition. Did you have a question? Did the I question? overhear while I was screening phone calls that there was a doctor needed? Because I'm back. Okay. I'm ready. All right. The, the question is, what is the definition of depression or clinical depression, if there is one, and how does alcohol affect the diagnosis, or does it? Okay, never mind. Did you take that <laughs> one? Did you, did you take control of that one? No, I passed, I, I, I passed it off and used the disclaimer that we're not doctors. That's, that's always a safe way to go, yeah, because as far as the actual definition of clinical depression, um, I wouldn't be able to tell you. I could yeah. give you something vague that we all might assume it is, but as far as actual the definition out of the DSM or I'm, whatever. I'm going to give you the definition of clinical depression. The definition of clinical depression is ninth inning, two <laughs> outs, three-two count. You're up. The Yankees are up. The Diamondback. Two, two to one. The year 2000. Mariano Rivera, the great reliever, the greatest closer in Major League Baseball history, is on the mound. Game seven of the World Series. Two outs, bottom of the ninth. What was that center fielder's name for Arizona? And he bloops a single. <laughs> a broken bat bloop single. Game over. Game World over. Series World over. Series. Game over. World Series over. Arizona <laughs> wins. Over. Yeah, Arizona everything. wins. Uh, one thing I can tell That's you. clinical depression. Right? One thing, one thing I can tell you for sure is that um, alcohol definitely 
sends the depression into a deeper yeah. kind of a cycle. You get depression's it, a downer, alcohol is a, a depressant or a downer, and yeah. so that is definitely not going to help your situation by any means whatsoever. Right. All right, let's go to Mike holding in Redwood City. Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you. I uh, have a problem. My son, he lives in South Carolina, and uh, we talk every now and then. And uh, I'm afraid that he's been hanging around my sister-in-law, who's a crackhead. And he won't say he is. He just says he's been hanging around her. And uh, I don't know what advice to give him since I live in California. How old is your son? 33. There's nothing you can tell him. Other, I mean, other than, other than, I mean, he's your son, so obviously, let me let me retract that when I say there's nothing you can tell him. Obviously, there's something you can tell him because it doesn't make a difference if he's 33 or 63, and if you're still alive, he's still your son. So obviously, you can tell, you can advise, suggest, and and, and make sensible um, recommendations to him that would be in his best interest. But there's not much you can do in terms of whether or not he's going to follow or listen that's out of your control right oh i kind of figured that out i was hoping i might be able to get some words that i might be able to use to pull him back a little bit so he's not so far into it and i'm not well, saying he is i don't know that he is but he's been hanging around my sister-in-law she's a big time crackhead okay so, so i mean you can say that he well you say it's your sister-in-law is that his wife no, no, that would be your daughter. Uh, um, I'm sorry, that'd be your daughter. That's his aunt. Okay, that's his aunt. Okay. Um. Well, you know, you could say to him that, you know, if you lie down with uh, what's the expression with a uh, with a dog with fleas, you're gonna get fleas. Is that you're gonna get you're gonna get bit yeah. or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, if you're hanging around someone who's abusing drugs, I mean. The expression that I know is you can only hang out at the barber shop so long before you get a haircut. There you go. Okay. That's the that's the ultimate deal right there. Yeah. Okay. Well I appreciate the information. You're very welcome. All right. Bye. Bye. What's the what's the expression that I was trying to uh uh, I don't know. That sounds like maybe something weird you heard in Jamaica. I can't, you know, maybe something weird you heard in New York. I can't, uh, I can't speculate on where you might have been going with that. I actually probably the barber shop thing is probably a New York thing because there's the old school barber shops that everybody hangs out at over there. But uh, there's an expression: the dog you know, and the fleas, yeah. and it sounds like a personal issue to me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go to. Um... Timothy from San Jose. Welcome to the show. Hey, I was uh, wondering um, what is the best way to reach out to a family member that is stuck in their addiction and uh, reach out to them to try to help them? Um, it depends on what your relationship is with this person. How how the reach out may happen. What's your what's your relationship? Do you have a good relationship with this person? 
Yes, I have a, I have a good relationship. Um, you know, um, we we used to uh, use together, um, no. but I'm in recovery now, and um, I'm just I just worry about I just worry about him, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, you know I just want him to get his life together for his kids, you know. Mm-hmm. 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 Um. So the number one thing you can do is has nothing to do with words is uh, being the best role model you can be for him. And that shows that it can be done. I can do it. You can do it. That's number one. Um, And then number two is if this is a good friend, close friend, um, et cetera, even though, you know, you use drugs together, that, that doesn't erase if they were positives to the friendship. You follow me? Yes. Um, you, you, you have the cachet to have, you know, real talk conversation, you know, and find out where they're at. Are they in a space that, Hey, you know, I don't want to hear what you have to say. I'm doing what I got to do right now. Then, you know, to step back. And then the only you can do is just walk your walk. But if they're in a space where, you know, well, tell me, you know, tell me about what, what you're going through and what you're doing and how that works. Then you know that they're thinking. You know what I mean? Yeah. So their answer to how they respond to you when you when you when you try and approach them with about hey changing what they're doing, how they respond to you tells you you know where to go with it. Back off, go in. You know what I'm saying? They'll they'll let you know. Okay. They'll let you know, and and if and if and if the result is the back off. Then you just back off. There's nothing you can do. You can't put them in a headlock as much as you want to. You can only continue. But can I just say this? It's very important. If it's a friend that's very important to you, that's worth saving, don't give up. Yes, yes. It's my you know, it's my first cousin. It's my mom's sister's son that I grew up with since you know toddlers, and uh, yeah. I just really care for him. You know. Then you then you don't give up. You you go right. down swinging. You go down swinging. You don't give up. All right. Thank you. You're very welcome. All right. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. <clears throat> the only way you can find out is, you know, you, 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 you got to, depending on, that's why I asked him about what the relationship was mm-hmm. like, because if it's a close relationship, then you just go in right. know, and find out what's the deal in terms of where they're at and how they're receiving sure. you at that moment in time. And if they give you an opening... You know, you go for the jugular. You strike. You know, but <laughs> if they push you back, then you know. But if it's uh, somebody that you know mean is important to you, you don't give up. You, you, you can't. No. You just stay with it. Um, and you know, bob and weave, bob and weave. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's exactly you know, right. So bob and weave. Um, let's go to. Brian from Los Angeles, which is going to be unfortunately getting a football team next season. Is it next season to get a football team, Mr. Producer? They're voting it on it. They're voting on it today. All right. Okay. Uh-huh. It's going to be some some combination of two: St. Louis, San Diego, and Oakland. All right. Welcome to the show, Brian. Hey, how's it going? Good. Um, hey, I had a, I had a question. Uh, I was wondering what a home group is, and how do I find one? I know what a home group is. A home group is 
believe it's an AA or an NA group that is in your local area. So where you reside or where you're from, and this is a group that you would attend most frequently or with some sort of regularity, that's your home group. And then any group you attend outside of that is just a meeting that you're going to attend outside of your kind of base regular group you know, that when you, you go to. You know, when you crash other groups. Yeah, like wedding <laughs> crashers. Uh, All right. it, as far as where you find one, you know, whenever I've looked for meetings for clients, um, you can Google meetings in your area. You can look online. There is a website particularly that pops up on Google that I cannot remember the name of, but that is a link that gives you all the meetings in times in your area with addresses and the type of meeting that it is and everything else. Okay. Well, thanks, guys. All right. You're welcome. Thank you. Have a good week. All right. You too. Bye-bye. Yeah. um, You go online. Everyone should have online access by now, I think. Uh, You can find AA or any 12-step group from uh, here to uh, the George Washington Bridge. That's, That's right. All right, let's go back to the X-Files. We did, Greg. Boy, we're getting a lot of questions for the the medical department. Okay. Michelle from East Palo Alto, how does alcohol slash drugs and bipolar disorder that is or isn't treated by meds counteract or correlate with one another? (laughs) Nice, nice. Uh, I like that. I like that on all fronts. It's a very articulate and sophisticated question. Um, I can tell you, kind of like we, we said we about... Can, we can answer that very uh, inarticulately and unsoph- unsophisticatedly by just saying, I don't know. Right. Yeah, that would be one way of doing exactly <laughs> what you just described. Uh, we can say that because bipolar disorder... And manic depressive disorder is essentially one and the same thing. Um, So with that comes the depression that was asked about by somebody else. Mm -hmm. And they also asked about the correlation between depression and alcohol. And so the same would apply here. Alcohol Mm -hmm. is just going to perpetuate the problem if Mm -hmm. you're manic depressive or bipolar. Mm -hmm. Um, The medication, I know that there was a medication used uh, a little while back, I haven't seen it so much now, but one of the um, big ones used for bipolar back then was lithium. I believe Latuda is described now for bipolar or manic depressive. Um, but yeah, alcohol alcohol and depression, alcohol and mental health disorders, generally speaking, not a very good mix. Look at you remembering your first year AOD studies. There it is, right there. That's that's why I get paid the big bucks. It's yep. on the table. Once a year, I pull it out in front of the man who writes my paychecks, and that's uh, that's about all I got. Yep. All right, so we didn't get an opportunity to go over the questions that we were going to uh, accept for today's show, so sometimes there's always a question that I may have a, a instinctual issue with, uh, and then Mr. Producer will talk me into uh, accepting the question just on the basis of that it's a question. So here's the question. 
how long it's from Carlos from San Mateo. How long will it take before I'm comfortable having sex sober? How long will it take before he's comfortable having sex sober? Uh, these are the questions you hate. Did you already mention that while I was getting yes. the call? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh well that we can answer How do we know? Yeah, we can answer that just as unsophisticatedly and unarticulately as the question before. We have no idea. Um that's honestly that's an individual thing. Yep. Some people have no problem getting comfortable with it the moment the opportunity arises clean and sober. Others may take some time to no, no pun intended. No pun intended, right? <laughs> no pun intended. Okay. Uh, so your situation is unique to yourself. Um, so yeah, uh, that's about all. That's about all I got for that. All right. So uh, let's before we go back to the phones, I got another X file questions. Brian wants to throw a bomb at us. Uh oh. Um, what is your opinion on medically assisted recovery? Very controversial. Medically assisted recovery, yeah. So methadone, methadone yeah. naltrexone, suboxone, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, my opinion, I think this is this does not deviate too far from the opinions that we've given before to folks who have called in mm-hmm. and have a medical necessity post-surgery to take some sort of narcotic medication that they may have abused in the past. I think he's speaking to... Uh, he says medically assisted recovery. Right. Oh, I was going to so, get to that too, but like kind of all, and all falling under okay. the same compass, just like we've given an opinion on people coming in off the street who are going to be on methadone because they were using heroin and there's a physical, a medical need for that, that as long as you are not abusing it, you are using it within the bounds that the folks who prescribe that to you are prescribing it to you mm-hmm. and you are... Let me see. Number nine on the show, okay? You're number nine in the Ten Commandments. You're being honest with yourself. Mm-hmm. Then it's not an issue, because in my opinion, mm-hmm. it's it's a medical necessity. It's something that needs to happen. Now I know for a fact that there are folks who, while tapering off of the methadone, know in their heart of hearts they no longer need it mm-hmm. but will continue to take it because they're using the rationalization that it is still being prescribed and they're getting a feel good off of it mm-hmm. that's where you need to apply the ninth commandment mm-hmm. and be honest with yourself and state to the doctor you know what i feel i'm ready to be off completely and let's make that happen mm-hmm. we can't use the doctor's willingness to prescribe as a rationalization to continue to use mm-hmm. But if you are using it within the medical bounds that have been set forth by the doctor and you being genuine with yourself and listening to your body, then it is what it is. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, good good for you. Mm-hmm. Good on you for coming in and trying to get help. And eventually you'll be rid of that need for medical assistance and you'll be able to rely upon yourself to to get what you need. It's been said by some. And this is this is part, not the only part, but this is one part of the controversy that <clears throat> usually uh, those who are prescribed. Let's use you 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 term you called it methadone. And one of the questions I was going to ask you is that is that a California pronunciation versus methadone? Uh, 
yeah, methadone is is how I hear it pronounced out here. I'm I'm not sure on the East Coast what they pronounce it like because I've well, never heard anyone use the term we, out there. But well, we methadone. Well, we don't we don't emphasize the dome that hard, but you know we say methadone. Methadone or methadone. Yeah. I've so, always heard I'm just it curious about that. Methadone, yeah. You guys twist the language out here a little bit, but anyway, we always thought that there was an inherent conflict of interest because. Um, the methadone clinics employ doctors who, who, quote unquote, legally are the ones who prescribe the methadone, which is required by law that the doctor has to prescribe it. The doctor works for the clinic, so there's kind of like a, a an interested party arrangement, and that's kind of some of the controversy. Not the not that's separately and apart from the discussion and the conversation about medically assisted treatment. It's just the way that it's set up with methadone clinics and are they serving the best interest of the client in terms of, you know, do you keep people on methadone for 10, 15 years or is it uh, a, an intermediary, a process to assist them with their recovery and getting off of whatever they're, abu- you know, the heroin or whatever that they might be abusing um, because, as I've said before, I would rather have someone on methadone and not living the life of, a, of the addict, being on the street and doing all the things that they do to, 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 to get heroin, mm-hmm. okay, versus not. Sure. Okay. Um, does someone need to be on methadone for 25 years? I don't think so. Right. And I'm glad that you're bringing this up because the point that I was going to bring up in this question, which leaves the arena for debate a little more open, I believe, is marijuana, which is now being prescribed medically. Now, methadone is prescribed and, like you said, should be some sort of temporary bridge to not needing it anymore because the physical withdrawals from heroin can be life-threatening. They can be incredibly dangerous. Mm -hmm. And so the goal is not to stay on methadone forever, rather to wean wean the drug, the the opiates, out of your system Mm -hmm. until you can function normally. Mm -hmm. Something like marijuana can be prescribed for things where the need for that is going to be ongoing, Mm -hmm. beyond your time in treatment. Mm -hmm. And so I believe that that is a different animal in and of itself because now we're asking, okay, so you're going to get clean, medically assisted because you have marijuana prescribed for a chronic condition mm-hmm. that is not going to end when you leave treatment right. that you're going to need to use from now into the foreseeable future. Mm-hmm. And I would say then my opinion applies just the same as I stated before. Commandment number nine. Commandment number nine. As long as you're being genuine and there's a medical need for it and you are not deviating from the boundaries that those the needs have been set forth for you to take it in a particular form or fashion, mm-hmm. then that's fine. There's people that take blood pressure medication mm-hmm. that they'll take for the rest of their life or uh, you know, medication for diabetes, medication right. for, you know, heart disease, cholesterol, yeah. whatever the case yeah. may be. Um and the the same would apply. Yeah. Uh, that just it, like I said, it opens the arena up a little more for debate because with methadone, it's pretty cut and dry. Typically, you're going to come in and there's some sort of thirty or sixty day taper that you're going to be going through until you are physically able. The mental component is a different beast in and of itself, and that's yeah. why you're in recovery to begin with. Mm-hmm. 
but until you're physically able to wake up and function without the setback of the withdrawals that may come from the amount of heroin that's been in your system since you started using. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, different story for something that is being prescribed and the, the plan being to take it ongoing. Okay. I told you it was a, a bomb. It's a bomb. Question. question. All right, let's go back to the phones. Uh, let's go to Mark holding from Daily City. Welcome to the show. Hi, how's it going? Good. I I had a question for you guys. I've been an addict for uh, 20 years, and uh, I just recently got into a drug treatment program. Um, I was wondering, uh, I, I had been going to school for about three years prior to this, um, taking criminal justice, and uh, my record is preventing me from uh, getting a job in that field. But I was wondering, what would it take for me to get a job uh, within the treatment community to become like a drug and alcohol counselor? Well, let me ask a question first. Um, you you said your record would prevent you from getting a job in the criminal justice community. Yes. Okay. All all facets of it. Uh, pretty much. I mean, okay. I, I I have a, a gun charge, and then I have a, a drug charge. So, the, and the, I think the, I don't know. Just to clarify, hmm. what the host might be saying when he says all facets is. There's a difference between working in the, the the field, the broad kind of field of criminal justice. There's a difference between working with the government or a government job, in which case maybe your charges would prevent you from being able to get a job, but you might be able to find a job in the private sector or, or some other sector in which criminal justice degrees are needed. You, you've exhausted all possibilities from, from government to private. I haven't I haven't really looked too much into the private private sector of it, but um, uh, I know for sure the government facets are are done. Right. Sure. Okay. Right. That makes sense. Um. So you're wanting to know then, what steps can you take to start looking in a different direction and getting into uh, substance abuse counseling? Absolutely. Yes. Okay. Well, believe it or not, um, there's many people who are substance abuse uh, professionals that have criminal justice uh, degrees or, or, or backgrounds. So um, the the slide over, I'll call it, into that arena is not that uh, unique. Okay. So it usually takes in California, if you go full-time, um, you know, a person can under two years obtain their AOD certification, um, and obviously, if just you have other things going on in your life and you don't, you can't go full time. It can take longer, but um, usually, it's a two-year certification course or less because um, you can go at your own speed. People have online certifications that are accepted in California. Where you can go as fast or as slow as you want. So full time is eighteen months. Okay. So absolutely, that's something you can do. Um, right now in California, there there are no um, mitigating uh, like there's no none of these certifications are uh, mitigated by a person's criminal record history. Okay, so I wouldn't have to worry about no none of my record getting in the way. No, 
And even right now, California is one of the few states that does not do the certification from the, from the, at the state level. They have private organizations that do it. Even if California decides, okay, we're going to take it over as a state and, in, and issue a single certification instead of having these seven and eight different organizations, just from previous conversations on that subject at the state level, we know that they already know that a lot of people that are in this field have criminal records, and they've turned their lives around, and they've gone, and they want, and it, you know, they felt a calling to come into this field and give back and so on and so forth. And so uh, they understand that if that was to happen, that grandfathering people in or limiting the mitigating uh, criminal charges that someone could have that would prevent them from getting it would be a very important factors. Okay. I hope you understood all that. I know I kind of went on for a minute. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I think I got it. Okay. The bottom line is you should be good. As long as you <laughs> you go and you get certified, you, you should have no problem finding a dr- uh, job in this field. Okay. All right, sir. All right, that sounds promising. Thank you very much. You are very welcome. You're very welcome. Bye-bye. All right, bye. All right, let's go to uh, Vincente from Redwood City. Welcome to the Hi, show. How you doing? Thank you. Good. You're on the air. Go ahead. Oh yeah. Now nah, I was just I tried to call you last week because I I went to that program. You says NA and AA. Yes. I tried it out. I didn't use for a week, but I relapsed again. So it was hard. But I tried my best. Okay. Did you continue to go? Yeah, I'm continuing to go. I'm going to go on Saturday. That's, okay, well, that's that's the only key, that you continue to go. Yeah. That even if there is a hiccup, okay, a relapse, yeah. that you don't, you know, you don't feed into the relapse by giving up, okay? Yeah. You put the relapse behind you and... Make a commitment to get to a meeting the next day, the next day, you know, the next day, and try and get this ball rolling downhill. Yeah, I want to get a sponsor if I can. They can help me on my to to get a guidance. I I, I am sure that there, there will be no shortage of people at the meeting that would be willing to be help you and be a sponsor. Yeah. You just have to ask. Yeah, I know. I will. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. You're welcome. One of the terms we use, and there's, again, no pun intended, it's not, it's not, you know, if a person relapses, relapses the issue is not the relapse it's what does the person do once the relapse has occurred do they just go downhill from there and just fall into the into the nether regions of the relapse world or do they arrest no pun intended arrest the relapse and get a hold of themselves and uh you know, go to a meeting or get support and so on and so forth. 
We have breaking news. The St. Louis Rams next year will be the Los Angeles Rams. The vote has gone through. It is approved. And San Diego has one year from today to either join in or join out. So the Los Angeles Rams, who became the St. Louis Rams, are now again are going back to being the Los Angeles Rams. And let's hope they call it Los Angeles because the plan for the stadium is actually in Inglewood, and I don't think the Inglewood Rams have well, such a nice ring well, to well, it. Oh, how about what they did in baseball? The Los Angeles of Inglewood Rams. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> like the Los Angeles of Anaheim Angels. Yes. We have the Los Angeles Rams in San Diego to be in or out, and this does mean for the local listeners here that your Oakland Raiders will continue to play in the beautiful city of Oakland. And who cares? (laughs) But on a serious note, let me ask this real quick. So the Chargers next year will still be in San Diego, but they get one year to decide if they want to opt into this deal. Opt into this. Yeah. But they're not coming in this year. No. Okay. I would assume, unless they decide right now, we would like to be in. Okay. But they have a year to make that decision. Okay. So if they wanted to put it off, they, oh, we'll be in San Diego. Because they had this whole big farewell thing the last game of the season in yeah, San Diego. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's like, oh, you know, and so. Well, my guess is that they might be in L.A. for the start of the season because uh, any the owner of San Diego, whoever that might be, if he has any sense to him, uh, would probably realize that Los Angeles probably a much larger market than San Diego, more money to be made, and everyone was thinking St. Louis was definitely, the Rams were definitely going to be the team to move because apparently the owner of the Rams or partial owner is the same guy who owns Walmart, and so he's a billionaire. Um, and so, yeah, you might want to share in the project with the billionaire who owns Walmart. So but it's not the guy who owns Walmart because it's his Children, because okay. Sam Walton passed away a number of years ago, the yeah. actual owner sure. and founder of Walmart. Okay. Um, but, yeah, he has a few kids. Well, there you go. Um, okay. Good news. Good news. I mean, it's news. I don't know if it's good. For St. Louis, it's unfortunate because, you know, the St. Louis, um, that's at St. Louis, Missouri, correct? That is correct. You know, in the Midwest, and um, you know they're big time fans up there of their St. Louis Rams for many years, and they're going to be losing a team. All, all, all hands on deck for the Cardinals up there. Okay, that's their baseball town. And so, one thing that I can say is it does make more sense because of the alignment originally with the NFC West. The Rams being in Los Angeles never made sense to have them in the NFC West and have a game you're going to play in an East Coast time zone when you're in the NFC West, which they is what just happened when we played the, St. Louis. They were just keeping the old-school rivalries in right. alignment. That's why right. Dal- Dallas is in the Texas, the and they're in the NFC East. Right. So. so it makes a little more sense now for the NFC West, all teams actually being on the West. Okay. All right. We always sometimes have interrupting breaking news, <laughs> especially in the off-season, uh, football. Uh, we're not in the off-season yet, but... Um, all right, let's go to uh, Joe from San Francisco. Joe, welcome to the show. Hi, how's it, how, uh, how are you doing? Good. Yeah, so uh, my question is, like, I'm in a rehab uh, facility, and uh, I was just wondering if you can give me advice on how to deal with cravings. You said cravings? Yes. From 
cravings for for what? Sometimes uh, I guess he would like say during the during nighttime when I would sleep. Uh, of course, I would have these dreams of still using. And no one I, I want to wake I, up. What I mean by I said when I say cravings for what? But like what what was your drug of choice when you were? Uh, it was meth. Meth. Okay, so you had, you experienced cravings for meth. Yes. Okay. The dreams don't worry about. Don't worry about the dreams. Everybody who, you know, was an addict had the the dreams. Yes. They don't mean anything. Um, How long have you been uh, in recovery so far? I would say I'm going on about almost two months. Okay, so you're you're still in what we call the first trimester of your recovery yeah. period. So what you're experiencing is normal. Okay. Okay, hundred percent normal. Um obviously we don't want to feed into it, we don't want to give into it, okay? Um we wanna understand it, we wanna you know, we wanna try and figure out within ourselves, okay, I feel I feel this craving coming on, what's going on? The reason why that's very important is when you understand why you feel these cravings, when you understand why, and you learn and understand why you use drugs and so on and so forth, you then start to possess the power to then change your behavior, change your okay. thinking. So whenever that, whenever that comes upon you, whenever you experience a craving, that's the moment you, ask, you have to say to yourself, okay, what's going on right now at this moment? Why the, I feel this way. Okay. Am I being stressed about something? And when you say about like at nighttime, sometimes the cravings may come, you got to think about, listen, did I do a lot of my using at night? Is that when I was out there using during the nighttime hours? That's a question. I would say sometimes, yes. yes. Okay, so it, it would not be abnormal for during the night for you to feel that because that's something you used to do. So it's just about, you know, recognizing that, understanding that, and not feeding into it. That's good advice. It's just advice. All right. I'll take that. I'll take that advice. Okay. All right. Thank you. All right. You're very welcome. Thank you very much. All right. Bye bye. It wasn't diminishing when he said, "It's just advice," because it it's not good or bad. It just is. Right. It is what it is. Advice or suggestion, really. Don't even think about bringing that other caller on the line because you got like 30 oh, seconds. Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay. Got all about the clock. Wasn't even paying attention. We do see that there is a caller from South San Francisco by the name of Nito. And if you would like to call back next week, we would encourage you to do so because I continuously put the host up against it when he is pushing me on my timelines for my sound drops. Yeah. So you got anything? If not, I'm going to take it from here because we got about 15 seconds. Nope. Ten Commandments of Recovery. We did numbers 10, 9, and 8 today, and uh, I can see we'll be always referencing number 9, commandment number (laughs) 9. That's right. That's right. So what I'll give to everybody before I give you the typical sign-off is we got some other news just in. The Raiders will stay in Oakland. However, they will get an opportunity to move to L.A. if the Chargers cannot get a deal done by January of next year. So the Chargers are on the clock. That said, we thank all of the callers who called in to participate in the recovery support time, as well as folks who have listened via 
the call-in line or the Internet or wherever you might be listening from. We definitely appreciate the ongoing support uh, that the community is giving us, and we look forward to talking to everybody next Tuesday. We wish everybody a great rest of the week and a happy, fun, and safe weekend.
That's our show for this evening. Thank you for listening. Be sure to listen to our next broadcast Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG Radio. Like us, friend us, and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash OCGWorkCA and on Twitter at OCGWorkCA. You can listen to podcasts of all our shows on iTunes under Roach on Recovery or on our Blog Talk Radio homepage. This has been a presentation of OCG Recovery Radio.